Welcome to the Dream Job System, the only podcast that provides proven tangible strategies to help you land a job you love without traditional experience and without applying online. Get ready to level up your job search with your host, Austin Belsack. Hey, everyone. Welcome to another episode of the Dream Job System podcast. I'm your host, Austin Belsack. And in this episode, we are back with our monthly Ask Austin Anything, where you all sent me your questions and I picked a couple of them to answer. Now, this episode is actually going to have a theme, which is something we haven't done in the past. But I just finished up a 10-week series with LinkedIn's Creator Accelerator program that was 100% focused on salary negotiation. So it was really, really awesome. Every Monday, I would release a poll. I would get a ton of data on burning salary salary questions and situations. And then I'd incorporate that into a video every Friday. And then at the very end of the series, I didn't ask me anything on LinkedIn. And there were a bunch of great questions in there. So given the series that uh, that's out there on LinkedIn, and then also the fact that I've talked a lot about salary negotiation tactically in other episodes, what I'm going to focus on today is getting a bunch of questions about specific scenarios and situations that have come up that I haven't necessarily addressed in other podcast episodes or in the series on LinkedIn. So that's what we're going to focus on. I have five awesome questions. Let's jump in. The first one is from Ryan. And Ryan asks, what is the most common reason people struggle to ask for a raise? So we actually got some data behind this. I believe it was the third week in the series that I asked people what their number one reason for not negotiating was. And this was really, really interesting because 85% of the people who said they didn't negotiate did not do so for a fear-based reason. So the vast majority of these people who responded, 50% of them said they didn't negotiate for fear of having their offer revoked. And then 35% of these people said they didn't negotiate for fear of seeming greedy or just too money focused. And all of these things stem around fear, right? Fear of having the offer revoked, fear of being viewed a certain way. So what it really comes back to is fear. And the most interesting thing about this is that those obstacles tend to be self-imposed, right? They come from between our ears. And really what it is, is our brain creating these stories in order to, quote, protect us. Because having the conversation about negotiation is incredibly uncomfortable. And there are also plausible real-world consequences that our brain can easily tie back to a negative outcome, right? So if we go have this conversation and it doesn't go well, we could lose this offer. And therefore, we lose this new amazing opportunity or this new raise that we would have had. Or worse, you know, we don't have a job right now, so we have to keep going with the current situation. And all these things are bad, bad, bad. So why would we ever risk the fact that we could lose this job when we already have it in our hands. And the truth is, when we dig a little deeper and we question these stories and we go seek out our own data, we find that our brain is actually incorrect when it comes to the expected outcome. So first and foremost, the most recent data that I've seen is that 84% of hiring managers expect candidates to negotiate. So 84% of the people that you're interviewing with and you're negotiating with, they actually expect you to come back to the table. And this is backed up by some of the data that we saw in the series series where I asked people about the outcome of their negotiation. And the most interesting thing was that 93% of people who negotiated their last job offer saw an increase over the original offer. So basically, if you just have this conversation, one, it's expected on the other end by the vast majority of people, but then two, you have a 93% chance of getting more than the original offer simply by talking about this. So all of the data tells us that this conversation is a normal thing to have. It's an expected thing to have. 
And there's a really, really, really good chance that we're going to end up with more than what we would have originally gotten had we settled for the original offer. So those are the biggest reasons that people don't negotiate. They all tend to be fear-based. And one of the best ways to combat this is twofold, in my opinion. First, it's to get prepared. It's to actually sit down and game out this whole conversation from start to finish and to come up with different plans for different scenarios. And then the next thing I would do is actually go out there and talk to somebody. One of the best things that we can do when our brain and anxiety start to tell us stories is to go find somebody who is trained in helping us work through those stories and come out the other side with a plan that we can feel confident in. So I would do both of those things ahead of the next negotiation that you plan to have so that you can feel empowered, you can feel confident, and you can take advantage of that additional income that you're 93% likely to get. Our next question comes from Cecilia, who's asking, in what format do you recommend negotiating? For example, do you recommend doing it over the phone, over email, text, in person? What's the best? So this is a really, really interesting question because we have to consider the type of person who is negotiating. So if you're an expert negotiator, like if you've been doing this professionally, if this is something that's part of your job or whatever it is, in person is likely the best option here, simply because there's so much we can gain from seeing the other person's mannerisms and the way that they react to things that we say. And typically, if the other person is less experienced than us, we can take advantage of them by moving quickly in person because there is sort of this pretext that if something's happening in person, you should walk away from that with a final decision. And most people are not good at walking away from things while leaving them unfinished, aka not having a final decision. But you probably heard me say, take advantage of the lesser experienced person. And in most cases, that is the job seeker. You know, recruiters, hiring managers, they do a lot of this negotiation pretty regularly. And depending on the job that they have, it might also be part of their core job rec, right? Their core job description. But for job seekers, we don't do a whole lot of negotiation. And the data that we saw in the polls from the salary series showed that 54% of people actually didn't negotiate for their last raise. So this is something that a lot of people are uncomfortable with. And when you're uncomfortable with something, the worst thing that you can do is put yourself in a position where you're not able to process, you're not able to think, and you're also not able to remove emotion from your decisions. So for that reason, I'd actually say that in-person is one of the worst options for job seekers who are negotiating. So instead, what I'd recommend that you do is try to move as much of this to email as you possibly can. Naturally, there are going to be times where you have to get on the phone with people. For example, when you're sharing that initial raise, or maybe when they want to give you the initial offer, or if you have questions about it, you're probably going to be on the phone with them in some of those cases, and they might try to push you a little bit. But what I recommend that you do is anytime they try to push, you know, is this something that you can accept? Could you get back to us by the end of the day? Like, can you tell me on the phone that you're going to accept? Every single time, what I would try to do is work to get off the phone and just reply via email. So you might say, thanks so much for this generous offer. I really appreciate it. I just need a couple more minutes to review a few things. Let me get back to you by the end of the day, or let me get back to you by this afternoon, or let me get back to you tomorrow, whatever is comfortable. Remove yourself from that position where the other person has a bit of an advantage and where we might do things uh, rashly without really thinking about them or you know things that we might regret. Get yourself into a situation where you can process, where you can sit down and think, you can analyze, maybe get a second opinion, and then reply via email where you control your response. You can take time to write it, you can edit, you can make sure it comes out exactly the way that you want. And when you do that, you gain a lot more control back because the other person can't leverage this ability to move quickly and the fact that they have more experience and therefore are better better able to operate in shorter timeframes, they can't use that against you. So my recommendation for most job seekers is to do this mostly via email. I wouldn't recommend text, which is one of the examples that Celia mentioned. And I also wouldn't necessarily recommend primarily doing this over the phone 
phone for the same reasons as in person. Somebody can take advantage of you there. So email would be my best bet for most job seekers. Our third question comes from Helena, who's asking, what would you recommend if you tried to negotiate salary after an offer was extended, but the recruiter told you there's literally no room for change? These are the standard salaries for offers. They've never heard of an increase happening, and they insist on all of that. So essentially, the offer is non-negotiable. And sometimes this will happen. Companies will come to the table on occasion, and they will say, here's our offer. This is non-negotiable. It's final. And when that's the case, there really isn't much that we can do. Like they've told us already that this is final. If we push back on that, we're not likely to get anywhere because they've already set that precedent, right? There's literally no room for change or no room for negotiation. So we probably have to either just accept this offer or decline it. And one thing I'd recommend that you do is think a little bit deeper about the long-term consequences of what this action and what this behavior might be telling us. Because to me, what this is saying is that we do everything by the book. We have these processes for everything. We have calculations for everything. And that's what's going to happen when you get to the job. So if you start the job and all of a sudden you're crushing it, right? You're beating expectations substantially. You're driving a ton of value in ROI. Come promotion time, you probably might want a little bit of a bigger bonus, right? Or you might want that promotion or you might want this thing. And if you've well outperformed your peers, you likely deserve it. But as the company has already shown us in this original decision, you might run into a bunch of bureaucracy where they tell you, well, that's just not how we do things. Or you have to go through this formal process, or you don't have X number of years of experience at the company yet. So we can't recommend you for this promotion, but keep doing what you're doing for another so many years, and then we'll be able to promote you. And that can be really, really frustrating and really stifling, especially to top performers who are used to exceeding expectations, driving a ton of value, and then being rewarded for it in some capacity. So I would think about that. And I would think about the long-term consequences, and then I would weigh that into your decision. And if there are legitimate reasons for you to accept that offer that outweigh this specific situation, then by all means, accept that offer. But at least you've thought it through. And if this is something that you think might be a problem down the road, if you think it might deter you from doing awesome work, from growing, from challenging yourself, then maybe this isn't the right situation for you, even if the offer is good, even if this is the job offer that you have in your hand. It might be worth foregoing in favor of an offer from another company that is willing to see your value and potentially, you know, be flexible in order to get you on board because they know that by doing this, by paying you, you know, an extra 5,000 bucks or giving you a little bit more bonus or a little bit more equity or whatever it is, they're capturing the best person for this job who's going to generate a ton of ROI for them. So personally, that's the type of company I would want to be working for. And I would probably turn down an offer from a company that was so, so rigid right from the get-go with the offer, because I don't think that that bodes well for my future success at that company or in my career. Our fourth question comes from Alec here, who's mentioning, when going for a promotion at your current company, how do you position yourself to not be automatically slotted in at the bottom of the band? So this is a really interesting question because when we are an internal employee and we're vying for a promotion, there do tend to be more of these bands and these specific you know, criteria that we have to meet as we just talked about in the last answer. And we don't always have visibility, at least you know, seemingly on the surface as to what's going on here. So how do we make sure that we maximize 
our compensation that we maximize what we're getting when we accept this promotion. And there's a couple of ways that we can do this. So first and foremost, we can do the same type of research that we would do if this were an external company or an external job, where we can go use some of the resources like Glassdoor or LinkedIn salaries or levels.fyi or h1bdata.info, any of those sites to go look up the promotion, look up the title of this role that we're vying for and try to establish some market value for that based on salaries and ranges and things of that nature that have been submitted to these platforms. So that'll at least give us an idea of where we're at. Then I would try to do some research because many companies will have publicly available data on these different ranges and they will basically be be able to tell you, hey, if you're at this level, these are the types of roles that you're up for or eligible for. And here are the types of responsibilities that we expect of you. And here are the different salary ranges that you might run into. Now, not every company is going to have this and many companies won't, but it's worth looking up just in case that data is available to you. And worst case scenario, you can get a sense for other roles that fit in the same level. So if the role that you're targeting doesn't show up in, let's say, levels.fyi, you can go find another role that's at the same level and you can put that into levels.fyi and you can see what the salaries look like there. And you can likely expect that they're going to be similar while accounting for any public differences, such as the fact that this might be a sales role. So maybe you get more commission or a different bonus structure or anything like that. The third thing that I would do is go out there and talk to people who work in these roles or who potentially manage people who work in these roles. This is where mentors are huge. And this is why it's so important to build relationships with people up and down the chain at your company. Because when you have the ability to go to, let's say, a manager of the role that you're targeting or somebody who's been in or is in the role that you're targeting, and you can have an honest conversation about what comp looks like and what's realistic and what you should aim for, they're going to be willing to share. And that is really the biggest cheat code here because those people have direct insight into what they're being paid or what they're paying the people on their team. And so they're going to be able to tell you what you should shoot for, what the bottom of the range looks like, what the top looks like, et cetera, et cetera. So I would absolutely recommend doing that as well. And then the last thing I can say is when you do get the promotion, I would always negotiate it, right? It doesn't matter where you are in the band you can always negotiate up. And so even if the first three things don't work out or they aren't available to you, when you get the number from the company, go through the the exact same process that we talked about in the Supercharge Your Salary series that we've talked about on other episodes in the podcast. Go ahead and implement that and try to negotiate your way up, focusing on the things that you want, whether it's base salary or bonus or equity, and also the things that you know might be more readily available for these bands. For example, as you get more senior, equity becomes more common, right? And if you're more junior, it's typically in base salary or bonus. So just understanding these things and what they look like for your roles can really help you maximize your your compensation package. And then understanding that everything is negotiable and no matter what range they give you or where you end up in the band, you can always negotiate up. That's gonna be your best bet for making sure that you don't end up at the very, very bottom of the band. And then the last question here, which is one of my favorites, comes from Daniel. And that is, how can job seekers deal with the anxiety of negotiating the offer? So I shared two points around this earlier, and I'll just recap those. But the first is preparation. And this is something that really helped me because I had a ton of anxiety about negotiating when I was in the job search. One, because I was highly introverted and the idea of going and talking to a stranger about money was really, really scary. But then on top of that, the idea of talking about money is 
really scary. And negotiating is really scary, especially when you don't have the experience. And as I mentioned, when we don't have the experience, well, one, you're not going to perform as well as somebody who does have the experience. And therefore, the other person on the other side of the table with more experience can sometimes try to find ways to take advantage of the fact that you don't have very much experience and take advantage of the situation. So one thing I did to combat this was really, really heavily invest in preparation. So the first thing that I would do is make sure that I did all of my research for this target role. I wanted to understand what all of the different ranges looked like, what the bottom looked like, what the top looked like, what the average looked like. And then based on that, I would calculate the realistic jump that I could make, like the largest realistic jump that I could make. And I would have that range in my head. I would keep that in my head. But then what I would do is come up with three different plans for how I could get there. So I would think about the major ways that I could make money, which is usually base salary, bonus, and equity. And then I would pick one that meant the most to me. So early on in my career, I focused on base salary. But if you have a different number one priority, whether it's bonus or whether it's equity, that's totally cool as well. But I created a plan A that helped me get to that target range, that ideal range with a heavy focus on base salary. So for you, if your heavy focus is on equity, maybe you create a plan that helps you get there with equity. Then I would go create a plan B and a plan C. And the idea here was that I just assumed that whatever I brought to the table first, whatever offer I asked for was going to get shot down or was not going to be met by the company. So they may come to me with an offer. I might counter with plan A, and then they're going to counter with something that is in the middle of their original offer and my plan A. And so this is where plan B and plan C would come in. And essentially what I would do is try to find a way to make up the difference to get to my ideal range with those other options. So if I was targeting base as my number one priority and they pushed back on that, then I might go for bonus. And I might say, well, I understand you can't move on the base salary, but would it be possible to make up the difference in the bonus here? And then plan C might be in the equity. And so by having these different plans and these things to fall back on, I was prepared and ready for these different situations where people might not be able to budge or wouldn't be willing to meet me at the number that I was hoping to get with my number one priority when it came to a compensation package. The next thing that I would do is just game this whole thing out. And one of the best ways I found to do this is just to go through like a mock negotiation. Like you can do this with a friend or better yet, if you can find somebody who does this professionally and you have the the capital or the budget to invest in that, you're just going to get a better experience out of this. But the more reps you get with this and the more times you go through this process and the more realistic that practice is, the more comfortable you're going to get with these conversations. And what you're going to realize is that this isn't personal. This isn't super emotional. It's simply just, two people having a conversation going back and forth about business, right? This is a business transaction and both sides are trying to get the most for themselves, the thing that's best for them at the end of the day. And that's just how this works. And once you understand that and you can remove the the emotion from it and remove the pressure from it, even though there's almost always going to be pressure given the fact that this is your salary and your livelihood and all that stuff. But if you can remove a little bit of pressure, if you can remove your emotion from this decision, that's when you can take a step back and you can really look at the landscape objectively. You can start to implement some of these different tactics and strategies, et cetera, et cetera. And then the last thing that I would do is read up on those tactics. Because again, once you take that step back and things become more objective, now we can start to create a system and we can start to create a strategy that we can leverage. And this is what the best professionals in any situation do. They have a whole toolbox of tools and they just have an understanding of what 
what tool is right for the certain situation that they're in or for the certain situation that might come up next. And so getting out there and reading some books on these situations or taking courses on these situations might be really, really helpful. And obviously that's hard to do if you just got an offer and you have to reply by the end of the week, you know, you're not going to go take a course on negotiation. But if you know that you're in the job search, you're hoping to get an interview down the road, or if you're in the beginnings of the interview process, going out there and investing in some of this stuff is only going to be to your benefit. So one book I really recommend that totally changed the game for my negotiation and is also baked into a lot of the negotiation strategies we have is called Never Split the Difference by a guy named Chris Voss. Um, He was one of the leading hostage negotiators for the FBI and various government agencies. And then he quit that and he shifted to the business world where, you know, he helps people in high stakes negotiations in the business world. But he wrote this book with a lot of concepts and principles and tactics. And it's honestly one of the most tactical books on negotiation that I found. And y'all know that I love tactical, right? Anything that tells me exactly what to go do, I'm game for. So that would be my recommendation if you need a starting point. But then obviously there's hundreds of other books and tons of courses out there on negotiation. But really what it comes down to is your preparation for this conversation. So In summary, the best way to overcome and deal with the anxiety of negotiating the offer is to simply prepare and practice and get reps with these situations so that you get a little bit more comfortable with this discomfort, you get a little bit more comfortable with the anxiety, and then you can go in there with a plan, with some systems and some strategies that will allow you to basically handle anything that comes your way. So that's it for the Ask Austin Anything episode for March 2022. As always, we do this every single month. So if you have questions, feel free to send them to me. You can email them to me. You can text them to me. You can tweet them at me or whatever it is. Just make sure to mention that it's for the Ask Austin Anything episode. We'll review them and grab a few to answer in the next one, which is going to be at the end of April. So until then, thank you as always for listening. And we'll see you in the next episode of the podcast. 